All right. Welcome to the Healthy Hustling Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Broadworth, and I am with my guest, Dr. Vonda Wright, today. So, Dr. Wright is an orthopedic surgeon and the chief chief of sports medicine for the Northside Hospital Orthopedic Institute. She's the founding director of the Performance and Research Initiative for Masters Athletes, inaugural medical director of the UPMC Lemieux Sports Complex. She's a worldwide speaker and author, and today she's going to be talking to us about mental health and resiliency and how to deal with stress in the current times and situation with the pandemic. So thank you so much for coming on, uh, Dr. Wright. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, like we talked about, you've done a lot of musculoskeletal research and um, you're, you have your base in sports medicine. Mm-hmm. What? Just curious. So you've been talking a lot also about mental health recently. Mm-hmm. Why kind of that change? Why that pivot a little bit? And uh, what do you like so much about talking about mental health? Well, you know what? Um, I've been doing sports medicine a long time. And um, in fact, since I was 18, I started, I worked my way through college as an athletic training student. And at that time, most of what we took care of was purely musculoskeletal injury. With rare exception, did we have a kid with anxiety or at least someone who would admit to it or uh, any kind of mental health issue. But as I progressed in my career and now, you know, 35, I don't even want to tell you guys how long since I was in college, but I would say 50% of what we deal with in high-level Division One athletes and even pro athletes has to do with some kind of mental health. So it is not uncommon at all. It is uh, not uncommon for a really highly performing athlete that you think, you know, how in the world do they have it all together with not only the physical side of it, but the mental, because you know high-level athletes of any age and skill level, it takes a lot from head to toe to, to perform optimally. So um, I've always been interested, you know, probably within the last 10 years, as I started to learn about how high-level athletes, or really, I keep saying that, but athletes of every age and skill level, a need to address not only the physical side of their game, but the mental side of their game. And it isn't just the performance side. You know, it's how do we calm the fears? How do we calm the performance anxiety? What kind of resources do athletes need in their training rooms? You know, before I left the University of Pittsburgh, I served that department as both the lead football doc for a number of years under David Wanstead, and then also served as as one of the Olympic team docs. And we decided, uh, probably three years before I left the university, um, to embed um, a sports psychologist in our department because the need was so great. And I think that's the way you treat the whole athlete comprehensively. But COVID has all change the game some more, right? So there's the stress of having to create bubbles. I now am the medical director and and one of the docs on the team for the uh, Georgia State University. And it is no small order to create a bubble around those athletes. And then we tested our football team twice a week. One of my colleagues, Dr. Mark Saker, was in charge of that program. He's a non-operative sports medicine guy. That's stressful, right? And then having to do contact tracing and then kids wanting to be with their friends but then us restricting them so that they could play the game. So all of those things add up. And so you can imagine the 
anxiety and the, you know, the sometimes people who are anxious describe it as buzzing in their brain. It's a baseline buzzing to cope with that within COVID. But on the outside, in people who asked me to speak for them or talk, I got more and more and more and more requests to talk about resilience. And so resilience can be this kind of nebulous subject, you know, I'm resilient, or do I have grit, or am I resilient? And so I'm the kind of curious person. I really had to deep dive in. And so I started reading some of the original work on resilience and hardiness, which I'll Mm -hmm. introduce the topic of hardiness, by Dr. Paul Bartone and Stephen Stein. And the good news about building resilience is that you can build resilience and the specific part of it, hardiness, like you can build a muscle. So you can train yourself to be more hardy and therefore be more resilient. And the mental part of that, there's a physical part of hardiness, the mental part of hardiness. The mental part of hardiness can be trained. And so uh, that's how I got into it. It, um, it. It's important for athletes, whether you're on the ball field, athletes if you're in the boardroom, you know, that's a sport, yeah. right? Leading a company is a sport. Or whether you're in somebody's backyard. Yeah. No, I think you, you I think you hit on a lot of topics, you know, that I'm very passionate about. I think we've sports medicine has evolved so much for one to go from treating, you know, uh, what we kind of talked about off air, right? The shoulder, like just treating the shoulder when really we need to look at this whole athlete and really see what's going on in order to get them back to playing at the level that they need to perform at and perform well um, and be safe doing it. And part of that is whether, you know, it's an injury or even preventing injury is the mental aspect. It's dealing with stressors. It's dealing with anxiety. And um, you see that a lot from my side, from the physical therapy side, with coming back from an injury. You see it a ton. And so I think you see this quite a bit in our professionals, everyday professionals, they're athletes in their own way, really, and they need to perform and come to work every day. And so, you know, my wife, for example, she works from home every day. And so her stressors and anxiety definitely has changed because she's been taken from being able to go out to work, go to the office, be physically around other people, to now she has Zoom and everything, but kind of feeling isolated, right? Like you can't leave the house. And that's what you're describing, too, with a lot of these college athletes by putting them in the bubbles. And it's just it's changing a lot of factors, which then mentally you have a tough time handling. So how and you started to touch on this, but how do you train mental hardiness and resilience? That is uh, uh, I hope everybody's taking notes because here here's how it is. <laughs> Everyone get out a pad, get a pad, a paper, pen. get out your pen. No, <laughs> so important because the fact that you can train hardiness like a muscle, mm-hmm. let's get on that. So let's define a few things. Resilience is the overall umbrella topic. And within that, you have something called grit, right? Uh, Dr. Duckworth at University of Pennsylvania wrote a whole book called Grit. And many training rooms have started measuring grit in their athletes to see, you know, who's going to keep performing under stress. Well, grit um, – as defined by uh, the hardiness guys, is the, I'm going to run through a brick wall, I'm going to run through a brick wall, I'm going to run through a brick wall, whether it's the rational thing to do, 
without analyzing, okay, if I can't get through the brick wall, maybe I can run around the brick wall. You know, it's the, it's the, I'm just going to stick to it and I'm going to stick on the same path. And you want that in your athletes. You want somebody who's never going to give up. But hardiness adds the rational component. We want somebody who's never going to give up, but we want somebody who's going to evaluate a situation and do it rationally. And that's where hardiness comes in. So there's three parts of hardiness. There's control, commitment, and challenge. So what do those mean? And everybody lays on a spectrum. So me being me and having a curious mind, I couldn't just read about something and pretend I was an expert. I actually had to do a deep dive, and so I became certified to administer Dr. Bartone and Dr. Uh, Stein's hardiness resilience gauge. Because where we lay on the spectrum about to tell you is 40% genetic, it's how our brain works, and 40% learned by the way we were raised and the situations in life. So that's why we know it can be trained. So everybody's on a spectrum. We can measure you in the beginning. We can then coach you. We can executive coach you. We can lifestyle coach you. And then we can remeasure and see the progress you've made and then how that's demonstrated in your life. So number one, commitment. What is the concept of commitment? It basically means do you know what your purpose is and are you committed to it? right? I've got a purpose in life. I'm there. I'm never going to let go of it versus uh, life's a little meaningless. I'm a little bored. You know, there's, I have no purpose. And people fall on a spectrum. And and where we fall on the spectrum is not a judgment. It's an observation, right? We want to be clear. We're not judging where people are. It's looking at where we start. It's like a, it's like what your checkbook balance is. It's a number, Right. right? Right. So, The more commitment you have in life, the more hardy you are. It gives us the ability to continue going when times are really, really tough. Number two, so that's commitment. Number two, control. Control is I have the ability to make decisions which can um, secure my future versus Life just happens to me. I can't control situations. It's, I'm, a, I'm a passive vessel in the wind. Now, let's take COVID for an example. I do not control COVID. I do not control the virus, but what do I control? I control mask wearing. I control distancing. I control hand washing. And I control whether I take the vaccine. I even control whether I travel to Bermuda to serve as one of the World Rugby 10 docks because a bubble so secure was created that we all felt comfortable, right? I can control that little niche. I still don't control COVID, but having that feeling that I've done everything I possibly can makes me calm, right? So that's commitment control. Number three is challenge. Challenge is the concept that um, I'm having a senior moment because I've talked about this all day. Challenge is the concept that out of chaos comes great opportunity. Some people view challenge as bring it on. I am so ready. I'm going to be agile and nimble and we're going to go for it, right? Out of this chaos of COVID, so many people are building businesses, right? Versus Or even if you're not, even if you're one of the people that have been so financially devastated, you can see it as an opportunity or see it as something we can get through versus um, 
you can't, right? Either it's uh, chaos is opportunity or chaos paralyzes you. Those are the ends of the spectrum. So how did they make up these three Cs? Well, if they just didn't make them up. They studied three distinct populations of people. They, did, they studied prisoners of war, right? How much okay. harder did that get? Stuck in an eight-by-eight eight cage. <laughs> I mean, you know, prisoners of war from Vietnam were sometimes locked away for seven years. You know, John McCain, for instance. So that was one population. Even in those survivors, they found high hardiness with control. They couldn't control where they were, but they could control the little things they can control, like tapping out Morris code on the bottom of their cell to communicate with each other, or whether or not they built physical resilience, which I'll tell you about how to do that if you want me to. Um, So so even those guys could exhibit high hardiness, even in that dire situation. They also studied current Army Rangers and Navy SEALs, you know, those folks who really put their minds and bodies on the line for this country. And then finally, they studied people who, who were living in tough life circumstances, whether those circumstances were put upon them by trauma like 9-11 or other national traumas, or whether the people were born with devastating diseases or, or musculoskeletal problems. And they found that in each one of those populations, there were some very, very high-hearty people and resilient in situations you wouldn't think you could get through, but somehow they did. So that's the concept of, of uh, resilience. The grid on the outside, which needs a little bit of rash, rational modulation, which is the hardiness. Yeah. No, and, you know, as you're explaining all this, a lot of this just, it, it really makes sense to me and it clicks with me mm-hmm. um, on a number of levels. Like, I'm thinking of a lot of different examples where if you think of successful people um, today, people who just you view as whether that's very well known or, um they're wealthy or whatever it may be, a lot of them came through a very difficult time in their life. They had that struggle. They overcame it, and they just they somehow continue to overcome challenge after challenge that is set out in front of them. And uh, part of it's like you said, are they able to adapt? Can they focus on those small things that they can control in order to meet that challenge and then overcome it. And so, you know, as a small business owner, I think about that quite a bit in terms of especially so I started my business up full-time come January 2020. I thought this is the time we're going. This is happening now. So um, I could have said, wow, this really sucks. And, you know, it is what it is and that woes me. But, you know, you just got to look at it like another challenge and you got to look at it like, okay, here's the pieces I'm given. How do I use these pieces to get to the next level? How do I use it to survive? So no, what you said connects, uh, I think a lot with me. And so probably made you think outside the box more than you would have had you started up during times of plenty, right? It makes you be more creative, more agile, more. Absolutely. So, so what do you say to someone, um, you know, people dealing with, a lot of high stress right now and anxiety and they feel like, okay, I can control, you know, mask wearing, hand washing, like you said, getting the vaccine. What do you say to them, but they're, they're still struggling and they feel like the whole world is against them and just 
that there's no hope, right? Very little hope or no hope. What do you what do you tell those individuals? So you know, sometimes um, sometimes we have to do something called um, we have we have to we have to reevaluate the perception, right? So mm-hmm. sometimes I was just teaching this today. Let's say you had something really bad going at work, right? Maybe you had a boss that was taking a bite out of you. And it just seems like the end of the world. You know, it seems like you're never going to recover functionally, emotionally from that. Well, if we put it in perspective, most of the time, no matter how bad it gets, now, bear with me, for most of us, Nobody's going to die at the end of a bad day, right? Now I'm a surgeon. Now I'm a surgeon, so there could be that. But I'm North Carolina, usually not. But for most of us, and probably the people in your in your practice listening, let's put in perspective. You may feel like it was the worst possible day in your life, but nobody died, right? Mm -hmm. And so, give yourself the luxury of using this exercise. Find a journal. It's going to help you think and just start writing what the situation was. Just they said this, I said this, it made me feel like this. Or maybe you can't even identify what it made you feel. But get something on paper. What was this day? Step two, make it worse. Write down the worst possible thing that could happen. They did this. It could have been this. They could have fired me. It could have been this. I could have, you know, whatever. Just make it as bad as it could be. Then the next step is writing, well, how could it have been better? What what a few things that could have been changed that could have been better? And going through this exercise and realizing, hmm, not the worst it could possibly have been. Mm-hmm. You can't die of embarrassment, right? I still have my job. I feel like terrible. But it puts it in a perspective, which helps train your emotions. Right. So that's number one. Train your emotions by do not let your thoughts run away with you because our, you know, I think of our, our what's in our head as a physical brain, the chemicals, the gyri, the sulci, the, mm-hmm. the electrical currents and the mind. The mind doesn't know what the truth is. You can tell your mind anything. You can overspeak your mind. Like, here's an example. I love public speaking. I love it. I'd rather speak to thousands of people than make small talk at a a cocktail party because I'm an introvert. But I can do the thousand-person thing like like that. But in order to make sure I'm in the zone like an athlete, I have a ritual. Part of my ritual is I go somewhere where people aren't going to see me. And I do victory arms. There is a, there is a, a body of research that says you're, you can turn your brain on and put in the zone by doing victory arms. That is something that you don't even teach people or animals, but when you're victorious, everybody's arms go up, whether you live in a zoo or live in a house, right? The other position that makes us feel our brains feel powerful is the hand on the hips. So you'll see me, or you won't see me, but I'm telling you this is what <laughs> I do before I go in front of thousands of people, is I – Talk to my own emotions about being victorious, getting in the zone. So we can, in bad situations, put it in perspective. In good situations, talk to ourselves. Self-talk works. The other way we can train our emotions is something I'm terrible at, 
but it helps many, many, many people, which is being mindful and meditating. So I've had the fortunate opportunity uh, to be involved in a conference that Deepak Chopra, the great um, yeah. um, doctor and, and meditation guru, goes to. And every year he leads us in meditation and he starts from the top of our heads and works down our bodies all the way to the outer of our toes to be mindful and on the breath and in the moment. Now, for me, I'm a disaster because I'm just sitting there making lists in my head of things I need to do. But if you can do that, that is another way to calm emotions. Yeah. So, I mean, those are two examples that, that can be worked on when you're just racing and you can't get control of stuff and getting in the zone and doing those things. Yeah. It's funny. So a lot of the things that you just talked about, have you read the book, Miracle Morning by Hale Elrod at all. So he talks about meditating. He talks about journaling. Um, there's other steps to exercise and uh, reading and some, some things. But I've done some of those things, and you're exactly right. Like, it's amazing what trying to, like, clear your brain by meditating can do and how it can just set your mood, becoming more calm, also more positive mm-hmm. uh, in getting the stress out of your life. And so kind of, is that how you would recommend coping with stress is one way is through meditation? Do you have any other ways? Obviously, you mentioned like the journaling, which is a great way. Um, obviously, there's a physical outlet with exercise, uh, athletics especially, right? Um, how else do you recommend, especially right now, that people deal with stress? I think one thing that people can do to to deal with the stress that we have uh, is to recognize it, you know, to recognize, oh, I feel a little anxious and stressed right now. I mean, just acknowledge, oh, this is a crazy time. I'm not feeling like my normal self. That in itself is calming. But please remember, and everybody should remember, that stress is actually a good thing. Stress is, we're hardwired to have stress because if we do not raise our cortisol levels, if our, you know, if we're in the midst of danger, whether the person biting you is your boss or a tiger and our, and our pupils don't dilate, our heart rate doesn't go up. We don't uh, start making decisions faster so that we can run away from the tiger. I mean, we'd be eaten, you know, to to use an, an old analogy. Stress is normal. The stress that you're talking about, to deal with is that that persists past the time of utility. It just keeps churning in our body and causes inflammation and inflammation is what kills us. And it's what makes us old. Yeah, no, uh, I talked to, and again, I talked with my patients quite a bit about that sympathetic nervous system versus the parasympathetic. And you're right. We need the fight or flight. It's there for a reason, but at the same time, we also need to be able to then take that, turn that switch, be able to calm it down, be able to rest and digest and do those things uh, and handle the stress appropriately versus taking maybe a small thing that happened at work, blowing it up into this way bigger thing than it needs to be mm-hmm. um, and, and recognizing that, just like you said. So, Well, and so we've talked a lot about uh, training our emotions and the and the mental side of resilience, but what, we cannot forget that within resilience there are ten resilience factors that lead us to uh, 
coping better, if you will. And one of them that was present in the prisoners of war, is present in the current Army Rangers and Navy SEALs, and even is present in people with terrible either acquired or birth disabilities, is physical exercise and activity. There is nothing like uh, churning the skeletal muscle to control the brain. And in fact, if, you know, there's data that shows if you burn hard, like a high intensity interval training, or I call them bike burns, or any what, Tabata, anything in the morning for 20 minutes, just get your heart rate up, create the flight situation in your body, that releases endorphins that are equal to one Prozac. So it's, you know, that m- mobility is a constant way to self-medicate and it's an easy way if you have had the terrible experience at work just go run or you know what if you what if you don't want to go to the gym just run up and down your stairs in your own house just burn it out a little bit and you know you'll get some happy endorphins going and feel better yeah no and i i think that's one thing that we need to continue to talk about as well as like um mental wellness and uh mental health is just the physical state and our physical well-being and we need to get out. We need to, there's so many benefits to exercise. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like it affects, it can affect every aspect of our life and how much healthier would America be? Honestly, if like everyone went for a 20 minute walk a day, like literally all you did was go for a 20 minute walk. We'd have less heart disease, less stress. No question. I mean, there's, there's, there's no questioning the data, smart nutrition, and mobility are, you know, they're the medicine for every ailment. If you have diabetes, you need diabetes pills or shots. If you have heart disease, you need different kind of pills. Stroke, different kind of pills. One pill for diabetes does not treat your heart disease. But mobility and smart nutrition treats everything. And, in mm-hmm. fact, there's a conglomeration of 33 chronic diseases that Americans and people around the world die from that are called sedentary death syndrome, and I sure wish I had made that up, but a researcher out of uh, Columbia, Missouri did. But all 33 of the chronic diseases that we die from are modulated in a positive way by mobility. So, mm-hmm. and you know, you notice I don't say the word exercise, because when I started doing this research a long time ago, you say the word exercise and people's faces gloss over. You know, it's such a nobody wants to do it, nobody wants to talk about it. So I switched to the word mobility because it doesn't have to only be organized burning in a gym, exercise as we know it. It's any mobility counts, whether it's fidgeting, playing with your kids, running up and down the stairs. Anytime you get your heart rate up, it counts. Correct. I mean, and that's just like, that's nature, right? The more mobile you are, the harder you are to kill. So. Um, the more likely you are to survive. So just kind of taking it back to basic, you know what I mean? Just basic mechanisms of survival. So, um, yeah, you pretty much answered all of my questions. Is there anything I've gotten a lot out of this, uh, conversation? So I really appreciate you coming on, uh, Dr. Wright. Is there anything that you wanted to end with or any advice or anything? I just think that people need to realize that there is never an age or a skill level where you cannot harness the power of mobility to not only change your brain, but to change your life trajectory and even to change your happiness. And so um, 
I think it gives people, if people would recognize that, we would have a bigger sense of control over what we do in our lives. So that's number one. Number two, um, even though I am an introvert, I have the gift of gab. And I gab everywhere. I gab on social media where your people can find me at Dr. Vonda Wright, D-R Vonda Wright, on everywhere. And that's what I was going to ask next yeah. to is where can people find you if they've got questions or want to uh, – I know you've got your own podcast and everything. Um, I do. It's called Hot for Your Health. Um, it drops every Thursday. They can find me all over social media, and I sure hope they do. Cool. Um, I have a website, Dr. Vonda Wright, which has tons of blogs. I've been writing a lot about technology and orthopedics. And then if you look behind me, these are some of the books that I've written, and even, interestingly – They've been translated into Korean and Russian, and I sure hope – I don't read <laughs> Korean and Russian. I sure hope they say what I wrote, but yeah. anyway. I, I don't know how many of my listeners are <laughs> are uh, can speak Korean or Russian, but if they do, it's good to know that, that yeah, they've got a book right there for it. publisher did it. It was very funny. <laughs> like, sure, go That's ahead. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, why not, right? Why not? It's a big continent over there. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. So, um, yeah, so they can find you uh, at – Dr. Vonda Wright, you've got your own website, you've got books out, um, yeah, and obviously you're speaking on this topic all over the place, and I really appreciate you sharing it with my audience, um, and I know that uh, they're going to find this very, very beneficial, so as far as this conversation goes. So thanks so much. I appreciate it. I hope I get to talk to you again uh, sometime in the future. Maybe we can talk about uh, sports injuries, too, uh, once the <laughs> maybe stress of the pandemic blows over a little bit, so... Awesome. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Have a great night, okay? Bye-bye now. Bye.